the way that I think about density is the more dense the bean, the more bells and whistles like go off in my mouth as far as like complexity. And so you're just getting more out of that. Okay, there are two types of people in the world. There are coffee geeks, and there are people who don't know yet that they are coffee geeks. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, a show about coffee. And whether you know it or not, this is a show for you. Season one is all about coffee's journey from seed to shelf. Today we're going to talk about the actual coffee tree and cherry and bean. So stick with us. It sounds boring, but it's actually kind of interesting. Coffee is a fruit, a cherry to be exact. I know, mind blown, right? We brew coffee specifically from the seeds of the coffee cherry. So... The questions for this episode are, what does that coffee tree, cherry, and ultimately the bean that we love look like? Today, I am joined by Wes Walton from Manuscript Coffee. He's a good coffee friend of mine, and uh, he is down in Laurel, Mississippi. And Wes, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. Getting some caffeine in me right now as we speak. So, uh, yeah, it's any, been, it's good, a good start to the morning. Yeah. So any particular, uh, uh, coffee that you're drinking? So right now, honestly, I'm working on getting a little bit of a new blend start developed. Um, this morning, it's just about 40% of a natural Ethiopian with the wash coaster and, um, leftover. So I'm trying to bring in a little bit more of the washed miles in there, but yeah getting a little bit um, from the the natural ethiopian so um so far i'm enjoying it i think i'm going to tweak it a little bit more um usually i'm my i'm i've been drinking some brazilian quite honestly pretty recently so um this is a little bit a little bit more adventure this morning cool i had this morning um some coffee from uh well a sample that i got from colombia and it was predominantly Castillo um, was the variety, and um, so yeah, it was pretty good. Um, you know, it was yeah. kind of, it was it was honestly uh, pretty predictable, uh, which is not a bad thing. And um, yeah, so yeah, it was good. And you and I were talking before uh, we started the show about some some Brazilian coffees, and that uh, some of them can be fickle to roast. Uh, but then, but then there are some that are, uh, pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, it just depends on who and where you're sourcing them from. Yeah. I mean, Brazilians are kind of, you know, obviously they're 35% of the coffee's market. So it's a massive market when you take a look at it, because if it goes from 35% and then jumps all the way back down to Vietnam at 7% of the world's market. So it's, it's producing so much coffee and there's so much going on there. Um, and I think it's even kind of, um, a little unknown that Brazil, Brazil is kind of the leader in the coffee industry for people who just aren't, you know, the geeks, if you will. Um, and 
a lot of it is it's a difficult coffee because of the altitude um, and the density of it. Lower the density, um, the more you have to be careful with the coffee as to not scorch it or right as far um, as the roasting goes. Yeah, not letting the sugars develop as we'll kind of talk about that soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, But you know, at some point you can you know you got your base coffees. I use it for my espresso blend. It's it's providing just a, a foundation of um, of body into the coffee, um, kind of the you know your dark chocolate notes, your peanut butter notes, yep. stuff like that. That's right. um, but there are some coffees that sometimes it can be a boring coffee, but um, boring there, from I've a specialty had, coffee standpoint. Yeah, there there are some people. Um, it, it's funny. I've talked to some people, you know, Brazilians are really just not an exciting coffee. It's more of just, um, if you're talking about like complexity in the coffee, right. There's not a whole lot of it. Um, and, and what that is, is, is kind of what you're saying is, um, uh, maybe lower grown. And so with that, there's, yeah. there's less density to the bean. The way that I think about density is the more dense the bean, the more bells and whistles like go off in my mouth as far as like complexity. Um, And so you're just getting more out of that. But speaking of Brazil, um, this is one thing I actually wanted to highlight in more detail in the last couple of episodes. And I just uh, in the conversation didn't get a chance to. So um, we did talk about how coffees are grown around the equator plus or minus basically that mm-hmm. that realm the tropic of capricorn and the tropic of cancer and yeah. you're, you're looking for an area where there's no frost because as we in the coffee world know uh randomly brazil got hit with a frost a couple of years ago uh which had a major impact on basically all coffee yeah uh, supplies in the world because there's such a large influence um, of the uh, like all of coffee production yeah. period like you said at least 35 percent i remember the when that that actually i think that i want to say 2021 kind of our summer their winter um if because obviously you're in the different hemispheres for that but um they estimated over 5 million bags lost. And that doesn't mean uh, pound bag. That is 60 kilos each bag. Um, So if you're, you you multiply 60 kilos by 5 million, it's just a ton of coffee that's been lost. And so um, I I remember it kind of sent a huge um, almost ripple effect. Yeah. It was almost like a uh, panic because yeah. everybody's wanting to know where they're going to get their coffee. Yeah, and like um, Brazil prices went up and then basically everything else because uh, especially if people were looking for a predictability, like if they're not doing single origin and they're looking for predictability yeah. in a brand, I mean in a blend, then um, they, yes, they were scrambling. And so let's do this. Let's talk about um, – the three major growing areas we talk about are the Americas, Africa, and Asia or Indonesia. Um, Wes, do you want to go into maybe a, like like literally almost like a list of 
um, how we would divide up um, some of these origins. And so what this would be for our one-on-oneers out there is these, this doesn't encompass everything, but this, this would show uh, if you're looking at a bag and if it's got single origin or even if it's got blends, these are probably 98% of the regions that you're going to find coffee from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Americas, Africa, and Asian coffees are kind of your, the most well-known. If you're talking about Asia, most people are looking for something like Sumatran coffee or Java. Um, those are going to be typically a little bit more earthy. You get like cedar notes into it. Yep. You can kind of get even some mossy notes in there. Um, yeah, I think but of like leathery also, and ropey almost, which yeah. sounds like it'd be bad in a coffee, but it's actually it's actually pretty interesting. I've had some, you know, at one point I was kind of turned off to Asians. Um, just even as um, a Q grader and a professional roaster, like you have to be open-minded yeah. um, to what other people's preferences are. Um, especially in a Q grader, you can't have your opinion. You kind of yeah. have to be um, objective. Yeah. You can't, you can't go in and like, this is a bad coffee simply because I don't like it. Right. You can't, that's one of those things you can't do because if it really isn't, uh, you know, if I'm talking about the grading aspect where especially coffee starts at 80, a really, really good coffee is going to sit in the nineties, um, kind of like 90, 92, it could be an 88 coffee and it's an amazing quality. Um, well, but I didn't like it. So I scored it as lower and not specialty. One, one thing that I have learned, um, even in making this uh, uh, podcast show is like one way to think about that, which is kind of what you're saying is you, you may think, Oh, I don't like this coffee. So I'm going to score it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to cup it as an 82, but probably the better and more objective way would be to say, okay, these are the tasting notes and this is the cup that we usually see out of mm-hmm. this area, which would, we'll say, score a 84. And this this specific cup for those notes is better. And so right. that then, that may score an 86 or an 87, but it not be a coffee that you like. Right. So when you're grading for, um, for Q, you're really looking for complexity. And when we're talking about Q, and we'll get into it in another episode, a Q grader is um, almost like the equivalent of a sommelier, but for coffee. They're they're the people who have gone through the certifications to um, know how to like legitimately, um, you know, say, okay, this is this. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So um, when we're talking about a Q, so in this sense, and I'm going to kind of help use that to describe some of these regions as well. Um, you're looking for complexity. So, mm-hmm. and for, when I say complexity, what are these notes? If it's not a very complex coffee, I might just get dark chocolate and roasted peanuts. The more complex you get in it, you're picking up other notes. So you're getting, you might get some more acidity into it. You might have more body. You might have more, um, more balance in the cup. Right. So for Asians, it's typically going to be a little bit more earthy. 
Correct. It's going to be a little, you're going to have some acidity in there. I've had some excellent, like, um, I want to say a little bit more on like stone fruit acidity, um, some, even some citrus acidity going on in there. Yeah. Um, well, and, but for the most part, it's going to be a little bit more earthy. Yeah. Um, and so what I would say, so for our one ers out there, I'll just list, these are some of the areas when we're talking about Asia, Indonesia. So Bali, India, Java, Myanmar, uh, we call it PNG. So if you want to be mm-hmm. really cool, you, you know, you can like throw <laughs> that name to your barista like, yeah, do you have any PNGs? So Papua New Guinea, uh, Sumatra, Vietnam, and Sulawesi. I would say, Wes, the one in that group that to me is not as predictable of the bigger category is the PNGs. Like I feel like they're different. Yeah, PNGs typically seem a little bit more vibrant to me. Correct. Um, yeah, those are always. Some, I've even had some times where I'm cupping them next to an African, and I couldn't really. Yeah. Tell they're very bright's probably the best word. So, like, I was thinking like a little more acidic and less like mm-hmm. uh, ropey, maybe less cedary. Um, yeah. Yeah. Less woody. Um, yeah, those, and then you, if you're looking at Vietnam, Vietnam is kind of weird because it the, it's focuses a little bit more. If you're talking about the trees, you have your Arabica coffee uh-huh. and you have your robusta. So Vietnam is predominantly robusta coffee. Correct. Um, but I have had some Arabica out of Vietnam, and it's it's yeah, it's decent. Um, and even Myanmar, um, I've actually had some good cups out of Myanmar. But I really, I, I love a uh, PNG, honestly. They just always kind of surprise you when you have them. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Africa. Yeah, so Africa, um, if you're the barista, this is probably your favorite region, yeah. especially if you're just like really getting into it. Um, everybody wants to get the the natural processed um, Ethiopian, Ethiopian yeah. from Guji. Yeah. And the reason for this um africans are a little bit more except for these um i would i would put uh tanzania and zambia in kind of their own category they're yeah. typically start changing a little bit and less of the acidity and all that stuff and i um, think the reason for that is if you look at a map is how far they are from the equator compared to yes. These other areas, which we're going to talk about, which I'm just going to list them, uh, Burundi, uh, the Congo, Ethiopia, Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, Zambia. And then I, I put Yemen in the Africa. I don't know if that would be the right category for mm-hmm. it or not, but I put it in there. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so um, with the exception of both like you know, Tanzania, Tanzania's got some decent ones. Uh, yeah. The more you head up towards Kilimanjaro area. Um, it's you're reaching the higher altitude, so they become a little bit more complex because of the higher density that they have. Right. Um, but, but if you hear somebody looking for, you know, an Ethiopian, even Kenyans, um, I had some exceptional Burundis and Rwandans. Um, those are going to start getting into your fruity coffees. Like people are going to, I've, I'm roasting an Ethiopian right now and my top tasting note is blueberries. Um, and it's nothing that I'm doing. It's it's nothing, you know, 
people are thinking, oh, wow, it's flavored with blueberries. No, yeah. it is. That is that is what it's speaking. Um, you know, and I'm going to take a time. I mean, not literal time out right now, but I, I want to say, uh, OK, honestly, you and I are in Mississippi. Umble's based out of Mississippi and so is Manuscript. One challenge I have, and and we'll jump back on the actual uh, train rails here in a second, but uh, is we are in what I would call a coffee desert as far as when you compare to Pacific Northwest, Northeast. Um, There Uh, aren't many specialty coffee roasters like me and you, and uh, it it is – it is like being on the front line of trying to educate. And so, like, for example, if I have flavor notes or tasting notes on the bag, which is pretty standard um, for, yeah. for where we come from, um, I do have to explain to a lot of people that, you know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not a flavored coffee. It's just coffee. And like you said, it's you didn't put anything in there to make it smell like blueberries. Um, so anyway, it's just I, I just thought that was interesting. You said that because that's one thing that I definitely run into too. Yeah, I mean, it, well, you have in Starkville Strange Brew, right? Um, and they're I hear it every time the best coffee that comes from Strange Brew is the blueberry, blueberry crumble or yeah. blueberry cobbler, and it's uh, at that point it is artificially flavored. Correct. And so it's and they're fun going for, for a to, different. They're going for a different market. So I feel like. There's a, and I think there's a place for that. There are people who, like, so I would call us purist in that we, we, we just want the coffee for the coffee. And I don't think that's, I'm not saying that's good or bad. There are then people who they want a specialty drink that has a little bit of coffee in it, which is a completely Mm. different field. Um, But yeah. Yeah. And and no hate to them because, like, what they're obviously they're killing it in the game yeah. right now too. Um, yeah, they do. A good but job. It, it's always kind of fun for me to plot my natural Ethiopian in front of somebody and be like, here's some blueberries. Yeah. And then they're, yeah, and you know, so they're, they're like, they're like, wait this a second. is amazing. Yeah. It kind of introduces them um, to like just the whole world of what's going on with specialty coffee. I was talking to another um, friend of mine on, on well, an earlier podcast and, and I told him that, one of my favorite, favorite things is if that spontaneous somebody saying, like they take a sip and they say, ooh, I could drink this black. And it, like I always yeah. feel like that's a win. Like I love yeah. I love that. So yeah, we, it's, it's so fun because it's even my mother, um, she's normally drinking Keurig. Yeah. Uh, but on the weekends, I'm usually kind of brewing. Uh, I'm visiting and brewing my own pour overs. And she's like, I just, I drink it as it is. And yeah. Yeah, it definitely you know, tastes so, different. Yeah. Well, so give me so give me the thirty second super highlight of flavor notes for most African. We kind of touched on it briefly, and yeah. then we'll go and hit the Americas. Yeah. So Africans tend to be a little bit more complex than the idea. If you're you're even going to get some wine notes, um, yeah. you have a little almost fermented, um, which to, to ferment is like, not a bad thing. To me, it's like raisin and uh, maybe cherry cola. There's like, a, it's like yeah. a deep uh, burgundy. I, I don't know why the color like comes up in my head, but it's like a, it's a deep, yeah. uh, sweet. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, to me, I would be seeking in like wine notes, especially red wine notes, um, yep. tea, tea like. A lot of times, like Earl Grey um, comes through, it's, and then 
Um, if you're differentiating between your naturals and a washed African, I think wash typically have a little bit more floral notes. It's going to be yeah. kind of like jasmine and um, a little bit more of like a, a lemon acidity. Correct. Um, but if it's a natural, it kind of becomes a little bit more of a berry acidity. You're going to get like strawberry. You see it on every bag for a yeah. natural African. It's some kind of strawberry or blueberry or some berry type fruit and it, yeah. it really Another is when i see a lot is like plum yeah yeah so red fruit um just a lot of the sweet fruit sweeter fruits um you can even get like some honey notes um and if you're talking about chocolate chocolate's in every coffee it's just right. like it's kind of funny it's like oh i taste chocolate like yeah you're gonna taste that in just about every coffee you drink yeah, but right. they kind of lean into a little bit more of the milk chocolate it's like silkier And so, one of oneers out there, when we talk about chocolate, the way that we differentiate is like milk chocolate, dark chocolate, uh, baker's chocolate, um, stuff like that. So, let's talk about the Americas. I'm just going to go ahead and list, and then I'm going to let you have that for a little bit. So, Central America, under that, we would put Costa Rica, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama. South America, we have Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru. And then just because I didn't really have a good category for these, I just put them (laughs) under others, but they produce coffee. Uh, Hawaii, Jamaica, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic. All right. Go, Wes. So as you can tell, the Americas are a huge growing region. Um, Contrary to belief, coffee is from Africa. Right. Um, at one point in time, it started becoming this delicacy where kings would trade it and move it, and people even stole it. And um, it was not as accessible as it is today, where everybody goes to get a cup of coffee at Circle K. Right. This is this was which is not a, a good delicacy. cup of coffee, but we'll that's, <laughs> no. that's for another day. <laughs> Just. That was just my example of yeah. how convenient it is to get a cup yeah. these days. Um, and so at some point in time, coffee started making its way over to the Americas and by trade, by um, explorers, kings, whatever you want to name it. Um, yeah. And it landed into where they are now, whereas people think of probably would say coffee came from Colombia. Right. Um, Everybody thinks of Colombian coffee. Well, it's not true. Colombians are great. Um, but if we're going to talk about flavor aspect, Central America, the Americas just have such a wide variety of flavor profiles because of how vast it is. So your Central Americans are going to have more of the volcanic soil, um, especially Nicaragua, Guatemala, Honduras, um, El Salvador. Um, it brings in more acidity to those coffees because it's an acidic soil. Um, also, a lot of the crops that they're growing around it, um, that's something I meant to mention, has an effect on what goes into the sugars of coffee. Um, yeah. Sometimes it may be they're fertilizing with another crop right. or um, you know, with the topsoil that has been composted from banana leaves or um, really just even citrus fruits. They're growing a lot of citrus fruits there. Um, and so 
Central Americans typically tend to be a little bit of my favorite, actually. Um, I like the, they boast uh, citric acid. So you're going to get a lot of lemon. You're going to get a lot of orange um, notes coming through these. You're also going to get some spice, especially with like the Mexican coffees, um, Nicaraguans. Um, So spice being cinnamon, nutmeg, um, things like that. Not, I wouldn't go into like spicy Right, but really, just like your spices that you're going to use to in your kitchen. Um, now, so for our one oneers out there, for any of these flavor descriptors or tasting notes or however you want to say them that we're talking about, whether that be cedar or nutmeg or whatever, you're thinking, I don't want nutmeg and acidity in my coffee. <laughs> all of these, all of these flavor f- profiles, tasting notes, however you want to say them. Uh, lend to a good cup now when mm-hmm. we talk about stuff like grassy notes or something like that uh in that's not something you're going to see on a bag because it's not a desirable flavor so you'll just right. have to trust me and Wes that these are things that you want in your cup of coffee and we probably missed some growing region so we apologize to mm-hmm. those origins you can berate us after leaving us a five-star review <laughs> on the podcast uh, but this gives you a good idea of how the regions and the origins are divided up and and where you want to wonders mm-hmm. out there can see coffee from uh, one other small tidbit i wanted to say is most origins have one growing season uh, kenya and Colombia have two uh, harvest mm-hmm. or growing seasons. So now, Wes, we're going to actually get into what the podcast show today is about. But I thought yeah. it's very important that, and, and you're an expert on those origins. So I wanted to make sure that we hit that from like, you know, the big like pie in the sky view. So today, um, we're really going to talk about the tree itself and the cherry and the seed. And um, I'll kind of start off with, uh, you know, my, my story. I was on a medical mission trip in a uh, coffee-growing region, mm-hmm. and, you know, we were driving by somewhere. And, I mean, I've seen pictures of coffee trees and coffee bushes, but I'd never actually seen any. Um, and I saw, I was like, uh, you know, I said to the people who were driving us around, I was like, I think that's a coffee plant. Is that a, is that like a coffee tree? And they're like, yeah. And so we went to where we were going and, you know, they told me, they said, they said on my, on our way back, you know, we'll, we'll stop and, uh, and we'll go look at them. And I was like, sweet. I said, hold on. But I said, that's, it's in like somebody's yard and who we were with, we were escorted by the police of that country. And so he just kind of like leaned in and looked at me and he's like, don't worry. He's like, we are the police. He's like, we can go anywhere. And I was like, I was like, okay. And so we like stop and like, um, it, it was interesting because they weren't using the coffee tree or bush as a agricultural product. They were using right. it like in the Southern U S we would use, and it looked like, like azaleas uh, that people would use mm-hmm. for landscaping. So yeah. this was landscaping in their yard, something that would flower and something that would fruit. And um, so I just thought that that was, um, I thought that that was, that was interesting. Um, and so now 
we don't want people's eyes to glaze over, but we're going to talk about the super technical names uh, for parts of the tree itself. And so we'll talk about the tree for a little while, and then we'll we'll finish the episode talking about the the cherry and the seed yeah. itself. So I'm just going to throw this out there, and then if Wes has any comments, um, we'll let him come in. So when you have – it's called a node, um, and you can go to any bush or tree, and you can probably identify this. This is the place where the leaves and even the buds of the flowers come off. And for coffee trees in general, you have two leaves or like one that comes off each side of that that node, and then you have the mm-hmm. flower buds. In between the nodes, you have what is called well, it's called the inner node. But um, we have some uh, a couple of great shows coming up on coffee varieties where we talk about uh, genetic mutations in the internodal distance, which made a big difference in how coffee evolved as far as production and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then technically at the very end, you have what's called the terminal bud, which is just basically the end of the um, thing itself. Um, Wes, do you want to jump in or you got anything? No, I'm going to let you kind of carry on this one. I, sure. I do want to jump in when it kind of gets a little bit more to the tree, uh, the cherry. Okay. Um, yeah, I can do that's, that. I actually love that part. Okay, so. good. Um, so the coffee tree or bush can vary in size and it depends a lot on the coffee variety and it can be a small bush that is easy to pick from. Uh, we will talk about, like I said, in a future episode about varieties. And so you see things like, uh, Katura, Katawa, um, varieties that are mm-hmm. smaller. Um, so they're easier to pick, um, because that internodal distance technical fun word, uh, has changed or is, is shortened, but you can also have coffee trees up to as high as a little above 30 feet tall. And you see that more in, um, Indonesia, particularly like, um, yeah, Indonesia, India, places like that. But you can, but, but that gives you an idea of the variety, uh, take you back to high school chemistry or biology, whatever you want to call it, photosynthesis. A lot of syllables <laughs> convert sunlight to growth energy, so you obviously need that. The leaves uh, of the coffee tree are usually waxy, and we talked about they grow in pairs. They do vary in shape and size. So, um, And that's another fun thing is like, you know, whereas on a coffee bag – you can see, okay, this is a dark roast from Manuscript Coffee out of Laurel, Mississippi. Uh, as far as the variety of the um, coffee tree or bush, a lot of times you don't really know that until you see it start growing and seeing uh, what the leaves are shaped like, what the berries look mm-hmm. like. Um, if it's uh, if it's really, really large, it might be a Margot Hipe variety or something like that. Um, you know, it's not like if somebody had their blood drawn, it, you know, it would tell them if they had a, um, you know, a, a blood type that was this. Like, it's not a, you just can't like, you know, input equals output. Um, and the yield or production from the trees, of course, varies. 
It depends on several factors, uh, the varieties we talked about. And like I said, one on oneers you'll have to listen to the upcoming shows. I think they're the next in the series on varieties. And that actually, we ended up having a two-part uh, show. And it's definitely worth it. It'll definitely give you um, a lot more insight on when you see these varieties like Catawai, Bourbon, Tipica mm-hmm. on the bag and what that means to your cup, which ultimately all we're talking about in Coffee 101 is how things impact your cup. Um, yeah. The microclimate, sunshade, soil nutrients, elevation, all that stuff makes a difference in the yield. Pruning practices, which is something we don't think about, but you have some farmers in some countries that are and some regions that are really good at it, and you have some that aren't. Um, and the weather conditions within that specific growing season. Zach, um, I, I do want to say on yeah. that, um, the, the reason uh, people, I've had several questions of what's the difference between specialty coffee uh-huh. and just coffee that I'm drinking. Um, farm practices play a huge role in this. Yeah. And when we pay for a higher price for coffees, this also ensures more money to be able to go back into the farm itself so they can continue to improve those practices. Um, and at the end of the day, it one brings them more sustainable income, but also a better cup of coffee and the quality itself. So sometimes the cheaper you pay for your coffee, the less they can actually improve on it. They can't yeah, right. get the better facilities. They can't get the, the equipment needed to go and actually do the pruning and doing the maintenance of the tree that's needed before, just as you prune a blueberry bush, it has to be pruned. Yep. Um, And so here's my thing is, and, and this boils down to the very heart of what we're trying to do with the education on coffee. One one is 90 to 95% of coffee production in the world is not specialty grade. Five to 10% is we like that better cup as far as quality of coffee. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see the awareness of how good a cup of coffee can be spread so that we can change those percentages. And I think if we, if we can change those percentages, which ultimately means somebody's happy with a good cup and they're happy to pay a higher price for that good cup, then not only way back on the farm level can we give the farmer what we would call fair trade which honestly is 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 not good enough um we can move into all the way to you'll hear the the word living wage um which means that that they can have a good quality of life not just for them but for their family and like you said wes um they can then invest in producing a better product consistently so i think that's a super important uh point to make yeah okay so about one percent of coffee producers have massive coffee farms and account for about 10 percent of the global coffee production family-owned farms make up about five percent 
and account for about 20 to 30 percent of the global production. And small farms, which is technically we'll say less than 10 to 12 acres, uh, they do it in hectares. So us Americans have to like use Google and convert it. Uh, makes up about 95% of producers, which I think is pretty darn fascinating um, yeah. Yeah. that it's that kind of a uh, level. And they count, they account for the remaining 60% of the global production. And, um, you know, one, one bad thing is with all these small farmers, they can have a phenomenal product but depending on the country, um, they have people like they call them coyotes who come and they basically um, they gather from multiple different farms. Or you can see it on the actual when they go to the mill for processing, everything gets merged from thousands of hundreds or thousands of farms mm-hmm. into one product. And, and that farmer who really does have a good uh, quality bean does not get paid that good quality price because they have homogenized their, their product. As far as how the trees are laid out on the farm, you have everything from commercial commercialized rows in Brazil. Like we talked about at the very beginning of the show uh, that are machine picked um, all the way to people in Ethiopia and other countries literally not on their own land, but just going out into the woods where it grows naturally and picking what they find coming back out and, you know, giving it to somebody. Um, And then, you know, last thing before we start talking about the cherry and the seed, it takes about three years to get a good, decent harvest from a tree uh, sometimes yeah. it can take yeah. up to five and so that's also a factor when we're technically talking about the trees and and how that impacts farming practices um, in these origins so up to this point we've focused on the tree itself but when we come back in just a moment we'll talk about the coffee cherry and beans how many beans are in a cherry You may have never thought about that, but I'll give you a secret, Wesson, I have. So what does it take to get those energy-inducing beans eventually to your cup? Stay with us. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101. Let's be honest. You live an intentional life, and you pursue your passions. You don't settle. You don't. So why would you settle on your coffee? Why would you drink something that either tastes bad or you have to compensate with a lot of cream and sugar for it to taste good? You deserve better. You need humble coffee. Humble coffee is always single origin and we roast it to perfection so that you can drink it black. We're not knocking you. If you drink it with sugar and creamer, I'll tell you a secret. For darker roast, I like a little bit of sugar in there, but don't tell anybody. Humble coffee. It's what you need to get you through the day so that you can crush your goals. Don't settle on your coffee. Go to humblecoffee.com. They got what you need, or you can look in the show notes. Welcome back to Coffee 101. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and today I'm chatting with Wes Walton of Manuscript Coffee. 
We've discussed the coffee tree. Now, let's talk about the really exciting part, the coffee cherry and the coffee bean. Wes, I'm going to let you go ahead and start on this. Yeah, so the cherry is really what it all comes down to, to get to your cup. Um, There's so much, like, really honestly going on with this based off of the layers of the bean itself. And so when we talk about a coffee cherry, uh, we were actually talking about of what coffee really is. Most people, if you, you know, if you're not um, really well known about this, the only thing that people are really familiar with are the bean itself. And the bean is actually just a pit of a fruit. Um, it's the seed. It's what would grow the coffee tree. Um, this, but this is exactly what we're eating. So, or drinking. And I sometimes, and I say eating, sometimes I do eat it as yeah. I'm roasting. Yeah, um, like we'll pick it out of the uh, cooling tray and just pop them in our mouth. Yeah, and it, we're crazy. it's a good – even when we do that, it's a good um, good way to kind of start seeing what's getting ready to come into the cup when we're brewing. That's um, right. So if you want to talk about the um, layers, you know, I can kind of go into that. Um, yeah, why don't you go into it? Uh, so when you're taking apart the cherry, so you're going to cut it right in half. First and foremost, which we're going to have, we were just talking about this. There are actually two, two beans in each cherry. Um, more often than not, you're going to have they're split by a, spe- a specific parchment um, or a skin almost that's kind of protecting each one, and right. it's creating. It's actually surrounded by sugars, um, and the bean itself. I've eaten one of these as it right off the tree in Nicaragua. The fruit's going to have a weird sweetness. Um, to me, it's it's got a nice, almost like a bell pepperish, um, or oh. like a sweet pepper flavor. Do you think that but was the from bean, the skin or from the from the mucilage? I want to say it's, it was probably from the the skin. The fruit's kind of thick, um, yeah. but it, it didn't have much of like a fruit flavor like yeah. I was expecting. It had more of a vegetal. Um, and honestly, though, but if you're roasting coffee and you've probably experienced this, you can get some vegetal notes. Yeah. Like I've had, I've had a bell pepper tasting note come through my coffee that I di- obviously didn't want, but it's in there sometimes. Yeah. Um, based of how we've developed the bean in the roasting process, um, my favorite part is the mucilage itself. So the mesocarp. And let, um, let me say this for our one on ers out there. So when you're thinking about a cherry, it's not like a cherry like we have in the U.S. where when when Wes and I are saying mucilage, that's the fruit like stuff that you eat. So like on mm-hmm. a peach, that's the part of the peach that you eat. The um, the mucilage, which is what we're going to call it here, uh, which has all the sugars in it, like Wes is saying, yeah. it, there's actually not much of it on a cherry from a coffee tree. Uh, so just wanted to make sure we made that distinction. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Yeah. So the mucilage makes up the flesh of the cherry, if you will. Um, and if you're talking about a wash versus a natural coffee, this is where this comes into play. The mucilage is what creates the sweetness and the vibrance and all of the tasty notes that go into play when you're drinking a natural coffee. Yep. So when they'd make a natural process versus a wash, a wash, it goes straight to the mill and that mucilage is washed off. Um, 
there is no longer the flesh. It doesn't create any sugars. Um, it doesn't do any of that. So, um, when you dry it, you're, you've lost all those sugars. And so as you're roasting in your process, you get, you don't get the vibrance. You don't have those berry notes. You don't get a lot of that. It's going to be more of the floral. It's going to be a little bit more of whatever acids that, and the sugars that are in the coffee pit, the, the, the actual bean itself. Yeah. And I think of like the difference in like what you're saying, like floral notes versus say blueberry, uh, is they're both like sweet it's just almost like a degree of sweetness and i think of and we'll one of winners out there will have a show coming up because like we've said this is a chronological uh progression of education for coffee we will talk about the processing methods um and what Wes is talking about is is a wash versus a what we call natural like he said you have more we call mucilage on the outside for longer. Mm-hmm. And I almost think of that in my head, or it makes sense to me in my head. It's almost like those sugars from the mucilage are infusing into yeah. the bean. I don't know if that's yeah. technical or not, but that's the way it makes sense to me. Yeah. So that's exactly what's going on with the natural, because what they're doing is sun drying basically, except for yeah. um, a machine natural, which I'm sure you'll touch, but, yeah. The sun-dried, essentially, basically what they're doing is they're raised beds, and it allows the sugars to start developing and ferment into the bean itself as it dries. And so at that point, once it's done drying, the whole, the actual, um, the skin is is knocked off, and what you're left with is just the bean and the silver skin, or what we would call parchment and yeah. chaff that comes out in our roasting process. Um the silver skin is a little bit more of like protective. It kind of helps protect the bean. It's even it in the wash process. It typically does not come off. Right. Um, it's almost binded to the bean, the bean itself. Um, when we start roasting the, co- the coffee, you go into your first crack. And what's happening is there's also some pressure being built up in the crack. Um, and you're releasing gas. Um, but as the bean gets hotter, this parchment finally starts to come off. Um, and what you're left with is, or the is silver just skin. the seed. Yeah. The yeah. silver skin, yeah. um, is removed because of the heat. Um, and we have a little, uh, like a container or a separate compartment to the roaster that actually separates all the chaff. Right. Um, because it is highly flammable yeah. and you don't want it, nor would you want tons and- of chaff in your, in your coffee itself. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't, there's just, and it makes a good compost. Yeah. It's a great, great. If you guys ever have access to some chaff or silver skin. Yeah. It's an amazing fertilizer. If you're a farmer. Yeah. So, Um, so that is like a lot of, uh, coffee companies. I know we do it sometimes at humble and I'm sure you do is, um, you know, we'll offer that kind of on the side, you know, just to, minimize uh waste as far as things that we can do let me talk real quick about just some technicals on the bean and the flowering itself um okay takes about six weeks to start to see the coffee cherry develop after the flower has been pollinated the bees uh pollinate cross pollinate the flowers and interestingly there's caffeine in the flower 
and the bee is able to get that from the flower and the bees will mm-hmm. preferentially um, go to flowers that have caffeine, which I think is really cool. That is um, awesome. Yeah. And the uh, average time from flowering to harvest is nine months and all of the different harvest seasons, uh, well, they're different because of where these origins are located in, in relation to the equator. When a bean is ripe, most beans are going to be red when they're ripe. But you can also, depending on what it is, like, uh, for example, a, a yellow bourbon uh, variety, it obviously ripens yellow. You can have pink. You can have orange. Um, if, uh, if, if beans are not machine picked or if they're not picked in one fell swoop, you'll actually have multiple picks during the harvest season because – yeah. Uh, just like blueberries, they don't all turn ripe at the same time. And the and the riper, but not too ripe, but the riper, um, the better it's going to be in the yeah. cup. And 100 pounds of coffee cherries will roughly yield about 20 pounds of coffee. And there's a lot of variables that go into that. So there's a little fluctuation there, but that's kind of a good ballpark. Um, it's also crazy to think about that. Um, if you're, If you guys are talking about if you're interested just in understanding how much production is needed for your, your bag of coffee, it's a lot roughly you only yield about a pound of coffee per tree. Yeah. So if you, if you take that into scale with the amount of coffee that we drink, just myself and it is hand picked. Yeah. Um, with Brazil. So if you're talking about the trees and how it's picked, Brazil, the reason why they have the production size that they do is because of their terrain. Yeah. Brazil is a flat land where they're yeah. growing. They don't have they can they can grow coffee on flat land like we would with soybeans corn. and corn and you yeah, know cotton. Um and so they've developed even machines that will literally drive it looks it's the weirdest looking thing ever but it's a it's a tractor that they are driving and it drives over the trees and it shakes them right and then the beans are and so what you're talking about at this point you get predominantly they're doing a really got a good job there with like making sure that most of them are ripe at this point yeah so they're not just getting a ton of green cherries they're not getting a ton of just unripe cherries um, but then when you get into all these other countries, you're on mountains, mountain terrain. You can't get tractors. Right. Um, you can't get vehicles to just go drive over these. Get it. Yeah. And That's so right. it's up to, it's up to the farmers to go in by hand and basket and pick them off the trees and then carry them over to a roadside where there would be a truck that takes it to the mill. Um, well, so that that's another factor with production size. Another thing I would say, you know, we've kind of singled out and talked a little bit more about Brazil as an origin. One one good thing I would say for sure about Brazil is that because they can produce so much, uh, historically, it has allowed coffee to be uh, affordable and something that is easily accessible for yeah. uh, most of the world. Um, whereas, you know, before it hit Brazil, 
uh, and Central and South America, um, but especially Brazil, you know, mm-hmm. that was not necessarily the case. One thing I want to talk about is, or one last thing I want to talk about before I let you go, Wes, is a pea berry. Tell me what a pea berry is. Yeah, so this this is an interesting thing. Um, so at some point in time, some of these coffee beans, as I mentioned, that there are two of them in each cherry. There's a couple times where these beans do not separate. And so they actually are one small bean. Yeah. And so it, you have this round pit that typically seems a little bit more complex. Um, if some, some coffees are actually like even offered some importers and farms will go in and separate the pea berries from the rest of the beans and then create an actual bag worth of pea berries. Right. You get like a 25 pound bag of, uh, pea berry. And for some reason it's taken such a huge interest in the industry and the specialty industry. And I think it's just because of one, how unique it is. It is a rare thing. Yeah. It's about um, it's usually only about like, percent of the yield of coffee. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not a common, but yeah, farmers have seen the interest and so they're taking advantage of it. Um, and which is, you know, hats off to them. You know, it's a ton of work, but it's, and I think part of it is marketing. And I think part of it really is that, uh, it's a denser bean because the cherry is concentrating more on just that yeah. one seed as opposed to two. Um, and like we talked about earlier, uh, with that denser bean, uh, you mm-hmm. just probably lend it lends towards more complexity uh, yeah. in the cup. So yeah, I think. And you're going to get from what I, I, I could be wrong about this, but from my experience of um, buying coffee now, it seems that most of the pea berries are coming from like Kenya or from Ethiopia. It's it's more of a, it's it's coming from areas where the density is already high in general, um, and then you have these complex pea berries that are kind of coming in. So like I've seen so many Kenyan pea berry coffees yeah. that are being offered. And you'll even see it in, uh, so for our one one ers out there, in your actual bag of whole bean coffee, just look and you will see, uh, if you just look long enough, you will find um, a pea berry in there because not all mm-hmm. roasters and not all uh, farms that export separate them out like that. Uh, they're just a rounder seed. They'll just flat out look different. Um, you know, I'm sure yeah. you could Google what it looks like, but but once you know what it looks like, it's easy to kind of pick them out. So yeah. it's just kind of interesting. So today I was joined by Wes Walton of Manuscript Coffee. Wes, yeah, tell us about Manuscript Coffee. Yeah, so if you guys ever get a chance, uh, make sure you guys head over to Manuscript Coffee on Instagram or manuscriptcoffee.com. Uh, we have all of our products there. We are a new startup roastery in Laurel, Mississippi. Um, I'm not from Laurel. I'm from Hattiesburg, but I had the goal to bring just like uh, Kenneth here to help introduce specialty coffee to the South, um, especially our state. And, uh, and so what we're doing manuscript with the whole idea that we understand that there is a beginning part of the story and a beginning script. And so we want to highlight what's going on with those coffees. And I think that the farm level is that 
is the manuscript. Yeah, I think um, it's a great story, like pun intended. I, I think, I think yeah. you, you got it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, our little slogans, uh, story written coffees for story writing people. Cause like we're all going through, um, our own phases of life. And, yeah. you know, we just want to kind of share really good coffees with people as they're yeah. doing it, um, that have their own story. And, uh, you know, and the common goal that we're sharing of specialty coffee and producing, um, curating excellent coffees, the more the stories are told, the more people are going to want to get involved. Right. Um, and I think the more people listen, you know, the more people want to continue to share. So, um, it's just a whole, it really is becoming an introduction in Mississippi. Um, but the more people that get on board with it, it's just, it's not just a business venture. It really is us trying to introduce something that's unique, um, but also betters other people too. And I think, you know, telling a story and, and centering the, your, your coffee company around that, I think is great. And it's, and, and, and it's not just limited to Mississippi. I think, uh, with, Manuscript Coffee with Humble Coffee with Coffee 101 and what we're trying to do here. Um, the more we can raise awareness and we can educate, I think the more opportunity we have to yeah. shift those percentages as far as where, how many people are drinking specialty coffee um, and it be approachable and they, they feel comfortable with it. And then ultimately, mm-hmm. For me and you, the bonus is that goes all the way back down to the farmer um, and even the land that both are taking care of a little bit. And so yeah. tell, tell me this, how, in, so for those of you out there in the world who don't know, there's a HGTV show called Hometown with Ben and Aaron Napier, and that is filmed in Laurel, Mississippi which yeah. is where yeah. Wes is. So tell us how it is being a small town and like having this world stage and influence as far as tourism and how that affects not just you, but the town itself. And, and, and this is also going to go back to, I think looking at which we do, especially coffee, the greater concept uh, of what, what does community look like and what does fellowship look like? Yeah. So the the show here um, has had such an enormous factor it, it, as to even the part of why I started in Laurel, quite honestly. Um, at one point in time, Laurel was kind of a ghost town. Yeah. Um, there was really nothing going on. Um, but with the show, with what Ben and Aaron are doing, um, and even the rest of the production crew there, they are doing some phenomenal work to really restart the city um, and give it a new life. And tourism has become literally like the main reason why it's thriving. Um, And, and so for that, I knew with Mississippi being a, being brand new to specialty coffee, really not understanding why I should spend $16 for a bag of coffee. Yeah. Um, Tourists are coming in from areas that do have it already. Um, and they're able to understand a little bit more of what's going on. Like there are so many cities outside of Mississippi and areas that, that are used to $16 bags, especially coffee. Um, and so we knew that the traffic was here. Um, 
but it, it's just amazing to kind of see that what's going on with the town. And I knew that there was opportunity to kind of help boom the specialty industry in this town and really in South Mississippi because of what's going on here. So honestly, I didn't know anything about Laurel up until I found out about the show. Yeah. Um, but I knew that was something, one of those things like, this is a, this is something to be able to take advantage on, like grab onto what they're doing and j- jump on that train. Yeah. Um, well, I am confident that Ben and Aaron Napier are coffee geeks, and I am yeah. <laughs> confident that they listen to Coffee 101 and like hang on every word. And if they don't, but somebody out there knows them, then they can tell them to come listen to it. And I oh, yeah. am confident that at some point they will have you on the show and uh manuscript coffee will just go gangbusters yeah we it's been funny we've we kind of snuck our logos in there a little bit yeah. um we've you Product know placement baby there's yeah it's kind of been I, I sign off for the rights and they just throw our logo on yeah. somebody's drinking coffee with our logo or yeah um you know so it's but it's been uh i know it's funny. Aaron does not drink coffee, but well, we don't, we don't have to tell ben, We won't tell you. That'll be our secret. Yeah. But Ben, yeah, he will, he will just, Damn. I gave him a cappuccino the other day and he drank that in probably 30 seconds. And yeah, he, he, he loves like, he's become more and more interested as to what we're doing. So it, it's yeah. fun to kind of get him involved. Uh, and then half of the production crew there, they are coffee fanatics all all production crews like because we you know we they have like um stuff with like big sporting events where where umble's located and and we supply a lot of coffee like for um some of some of that kind of stuff and yeah yeah they just yeah yeah production crews are um you know talk about story those are and, and we'll actually stop talking here in a second but um you know they're underrated as far as where they fall in the story of an actual production of yeah. a video. You know, they're not the people on the screen, but, but man, do they have a, a big impact. But yeah. anyway, much like coffee. That's right. <laughs> so I digress. It was a pleasure having you on, Wes. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken. That was Wes Walton with Manuscript Coffee, and I'm Kenneth Thomas with Humble Coffee. This is Coffee 101. Listen, guys and girls we enjoyed having you listen today uh i appreciate it if you can follow the show on your podcast app of choice we would love for you to leave a review i go through every one of them i actually yesterday went through i think it was like 56 new ones uh that i saw so phenomenal uh love y'all um you have um uh, you just you just brighten my day uh, just reading through those, so I'd certainly appreciate it. Follow Humble Coffee on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just just look up Humble Coffee, and that's about it on that. Or you can look in the show notes. We have a link there. If you need coffee, same thing. Go to HumbleCoffee.com or look in the show notes below. Are you a business looking for coffee? We'd love to talk to you. Just go to Humble Coffee and fill out the wholesale form that we have there. All right, 101ers. I really enjoyed that talk with Wes. He really knows what he's talking about. And uh, honestly, go check out Manuscript Coffee, too. 
Um, they're doing some good things down there in Laurel, Mississippi. All right. Love y'all 101ers. See you next time on Coffee 101.